Section 8 of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5. Cook's Three Predecessors. So greatly has the fame of Cook eclipsed that of his predecessors that we are inclined to forget that his century produced other great navigators besides himself not to speak of foreign expeditions there were the voyages of anson byron wallace and carteret which must in justice to cook himself be touched upon before his own voyages are considered commodore anson's course presents no features of great interest like most of the early navigators he steered northward after passing through the straits of magellan touched at juan fernandez coasted south america stood in at panama went out to sea again appeared off acapulco and then sailed in the parallel of thirteen degrees north to the ladrones he added little to the geography of the world commodore byron's voyage seventeen sixty four to seventeen sixty six was almost as barren of results although like magellan he seemed to avoid discovering the archipelagos between which he passed by a kind of miracle he had with him the dolphin a man-of-war of the sixth rate carrying thirty-six guns with a complement of three lieutenants thirty-seven petty officers and one hundred and fifty men and the tamar sloop sixteen guns under captain mowat with three lieutenants twenty-seven petty officers and ninety men his general instructions were to sail in the southern seas and to make such discoveries and observations as he should find possible these instructions were not communicated to the men until they were well out to sea double pay was promised with other advantages he sailed to port desire north of the straits sighting the falkland islands on the way he then sailed into the straits as far as port famine when he was forced to put back again he visited the falklands they had formerly been known as hawkins maidenland or peeps land and then made another attempt to get through the straits they entered this terrible strait on sunday february seventeenth and came out of it on tuesday april ninth that is to say the passage of the straits took them fifty-one days which must not be considered a very long time considering the time spent by some ships in the passage captain wallace afterwards spent four months getting through de bougainville took one day longer than byron the weather during the whole time that byron was in the straits he describes as dreadful beyond all description on april twenty sixth the ships were off masafuera after leaving this island byron sailed north into latitude twenty six degrees south when like magellan he took a west northwest course and ran halfway across the ocean without sighting any land he then arrived at the northern end of the society islands discovering certain of the smaller outlying islands but missing tahiti and the more important places he then sailed northwest for the ladrones discovering one or two insignificant islands on the way it is an interesting voyage but one feels that the gallant commodore was not anxious to linger and indeed his crew was suffering too much from scurvy to allow further delay captain cook in his place would have put in at some island where he could have relieved and refreshed his men and would then have turned back but it is not every commander who can discover islands byron had not la main heureuse 
nor is it every commander who loves the perils of an unknown sea byron on his return was made governor of newfoundland and afterwards commanded a fleet to oppose the comte de Stagne in 1777 he died in 1786 the dolphin being refitted was sent out again in the year of her return under command of captain samuel wallace who had with him the swallow sloop captain carteret and the prince frederick storeship great attention was paid on this voyage to the shipment of medicines portable soup and other things for the prevention of scurvy the ships sailed on august twenty second seventeen sixty six they entered the straits on december seventeenth seventeen sixty six and did not get out until april eleventh seventeen sixty seven they actually spent four months trying to work through this abominable passage which is if one understands wallace aright about eight hundred and eighty miles in length wallace made however a careful chart of the whole straits and wrote a description of the navigation for use by those who should come after him on leaving the straits the dolphin sailing much faster than the swallow lost sight of her i would have shortened sail for the swallow says captain wallace but it was not in my power for as a current set us strongly down upon the isles of direction and the wind came to the west it became absolutely necessary for me to carry sail so that i might clear them soon after we lost sight of the swallow and never saw her again to the people on the latter vessel it looked as if captain wallace had crowded sail with the deliberate intention of deserting them wallace made no land for seven weeks when they discovered a small island or two about this time the diet of salt beef and pork began to produce their usual result in the appearance of scurvy the men began to fall down very fast vinegar and mustard were served out as antiscorbutics as much as the men chose to take wine was given instead of spirits also sweet wort and saloup portable soup was also boiled with their peas and oatmeal the berths were kept clean the hammocks were frequently washed the water was rendered wholesome by ventilation and every part between decks frequently washed with vinegar yet the scurvy continued to spread nor was it until they reached a land where fruit and green food could be procured that the men recovered these preventive measures are necessary to notice in view of their helplessness and the sanitary improvements introduced by cook on his second voyage early in june wallace entered the archipelago of the society islands on the southeast side discovering island after island until they reached tahiti which wallace named king george the third's island it was fortunate for cook that his predecessor left behind him a kindly memory among the natives though their friendship began with a fight wallace's account of the place and the people occupies a great part of his narrative it is not so full and complete as the accounts afterwards given by cook by george forster anderson and king but it is highly curious and interesting no island of the pacific has been more thoroughly described as it appeared on its first discovery than tahiti of that pristine simplicity of manners how much now remains from the society islands wallace steered west and afterwards northwest for tinian and the ladrones another example of the way in which sailors one after the other used to make for the known points 
had he continued a westerly course he would have struck the coast of new holland had he steered southwest he would have anticipated cook and discovered new zealand satisfied however with the glory of finding king george the third's island he made for the ladrones on the way he found several small islands here follows a very curious and tragic little story on arriving at java he found the h m s falmouth lying in the mud in a rotten condition her ports were broken her stern post decayed and there was no place in the ship where a man could be sheltered from the weather the few people who belonged to her had been left in charge it is not stated how long or in what circumstances they had been left there or what had become of the ship's officers the story is an illustration of the delights which awaited a sailor at that time these people were the petty officers and one supposes some of the crew the decaying ship lay rotting in the stinking tropical mud while the men in charge waited for orders from england none came the dutch refused to let them sleep on shore when they were sick no one would visit them on board they were afraid that the malays would come and murder them and set their ship on fire the stores which they were left to guard had all been destroyed their powder had been thrown into the water by the dutch the masts yards and cables were all dropping to pieces and even the ironwork was so rusty that it was no longer worth anything ten years pay was due to them they had actually been in this horrible place for ten years they were growing old in this misery they expected that the next monsoon would break up the rotten old ship and drown them could there be a more miserable condition the gunner was dead the boatswain had gone mad the carpenter was dying and the cook was a wounded cripple wallace refused to relieve them they were left in charge he said and they must wait for orders from home so he sailed away nothing more is recorded of these poor fellows but the year after carteret who put in at batavia for repairs mentions the falmouth as a ship that had been condemned one hopes that somehow the survivors had been taken home and were already in the enjoyment of their ten years pay but one fears that their last home was in the warm mud of that fatal creek the dolphin anchored in the downs six hundred and thirty-seven days after her departure from plymouth sound this was a very quick voyage but as has been evident from the course taken it was straight across the ocean the voyage of the little swallow under carteret who had already sailed around the world with byron was by far the most interesting of any before those of cook it was also the most perilous the vessel selected for this long and dangerous service was a sloop thirty years old she was thinly sheathed and provided with nothing more than the barest necessaries the captain in considering the scanty equipment of the vessel was persuaded that the swallow was not intended to sail farther than the falkland islands in this he was undeceived the two ships kept company as already stated through the straits when the dolphin sailed away leaving her consort alone and without appointing any rendezvous none of the stores necessary to obtain refreshments from the natives cloth linen beads scissors etc were on board the swallow which was also unprovided even with a forge or any iron at the outset the ship was so foul 
that even with all sails set she could not keep up with the dolphin though the latter was sailing under topsails alone after a month of storm and rain with heavy seas the little vessel arrived at masafuera and now began in earnest a voyage with which none other can be compared for the resolution of the captain and the perils and discomforts of the ship's company with a small vessel imperfectly found without even the means of repairing a broken cable the commander would have been perfectly justified either in steering the shortest course across the pacific or in returning home through the straits carteret with the true spirit of a navigator did neither he cruised about in search of doubtful places he looked for certain islands laid down in green's chart of seventeen fifty three and also in robertson's elements of navigation and proved at least that their position was wrongly laid down even if the islands had any existence in these days of imperfect observation the true longitudes were generally arrived at after repeated visits and many observations he also proved that the so-called davis's land supposed to be a part of the great southern continent did not exist at least in the place assigned to it he discovered pitcairn's island but was unable to effect the landing he then like byron and wallace sailed into the archipelago of the society islands but lighted on the southern group the ship beginning to grow crazy and the crew being sick with scurvy carteret was compelled to abandon his wish to steer southeast had he been able to do so he might have anticipated many of cook's discoveries he therefore followed a northwest course but not as wallace and byron before him making for the ladrones and so by the north of the philippines to batavia carteret kept as long as possible south of the equator he discovered the queen charlotte islands he discovered and sailed through new britain and new ireland he discovered the admiralty islands joseph freewill's island examined the coast of mindanao sailed round celebes and so arrived at batavia had he been able to land procure refreshments and repair his vessel he would have steered southeast after leaving queen charlotte islands hitherto he says though i had long been ill of an inflammatory and bilious disorder i had been able to keep the deck but this evening the symptoms became so much more threatening that i could keep up no longer and i was for some time afterwards confined to my bed the master was dying of the wounds he received from his quarrel with the indians the lieutenant also was very ill the gunner and thirty of my men incapable of duty among whom were some of the most vigorous and healthy that had been wounded with the master and three of them mortally and there was no hope of obtaining such refreshments as we most needed in the place these were discouraging circumstances and not only put an end to my hopes of prosecuting the voyage farther to southward but greatly dispirited the people except myself the master and the lieutenant there was nobody on board capable of navigating a ship home the master was known to be a dying man and the recovery of myself and the lieutenant was very doubtful i would however have made a further effort to obtain refreshments here if i had been furnished with any toys iron tools or cutlery ware which might have enabled me to recover the goodwill of the natives and establish a traffic with them for such necessaries as they would have furnished us with but i had no such articles and but very few others fit for an indian trade 
and not being in a condition to risk the loss of any more of the few men who were capable of doing duty, I weighed anchor at daybreak on Monday the 12th, and stood along the shore for that part of the island to which I had sent the cutter. When the ship at last arrived at Makassar, every man on board was ill with scurvy, and the Dutch, in their usual spirit, refused any assistance. On March 20th, 1769, nearly a year after Captain Wallace's return, the Swallow anchored at Spithead. The explanations of the former officer when the two gallant captains met are not on record. I have thought it just both to Cook and to the memory of these three, his immediate predecessors, to give a somewhat more detailed account of their voyages. It will be observed that the zeal with which Carteret carried out his instructions differed essentially from that which the other two brought to their enterprise. Byron and Wallace had large and well-found ships, yet they hastened to get out of the Pacific as quickly as possible, and by that part of it already known. Carteret had a small and ill-found old and crazy craft. De Bougainville, who passed the Swallow homeward bound, reports that Carteret's ship was very small and went very ill, and when we took leave of him, remained as if it were at anchor. How much he must have suffered in so bad a vessel may well be conceived. He had a sick crew and could get no refreshments. Yet he lingered as long as he could in the ocean, and but for impossibility would have explored the southeast Pacific, then wholly unknown. Perhaps the known zeal of the younger man caused Wallace to sail out of sight as quickly as possible after passing through the straits. The chart of the Pacific, therefore, had been enriched as the result of these three voyages, first by the group of the Society Islands of which Byron discovered the Northern Isles, Wallace, Tahiti, and Carteret, those to the south. Byron and Wallace did little more. Carteret discovered the Queen Charlotte Islands, Pitcairn's Island, separated New Britain from New Ireland, and found other small islands. End of section 8